Welcome to the podcast version of Robots in Depth, episode 6, with Andre K, in cooperation with Vvolver. Robots in Depth is supported by Aptomica. Visit aptomica.com to connect. You will find all past episodes and more on robotsindepth.com. Welcome to Robots in Depth. Today I'm honored to have Andra Kay here from Silicon Valley Robotics. Uh, she's amazingly connected in the robotics field and also very knowledgeable, so she knows what she sees when she sees it. And I'd just like to, to get you to talking about how did you start Silicon Valley Robotics and what is the organization? And we'll take it from there. Well, firstly, thank you for inviting me, Per. Yeah. And it's always a pleasure to talk robots with you. Yeah, thank you. And that's really how I ended up being the managing director of Silicon Valley Robotics. I am a robot geek and I'm fascinated by the rollout of robots into society. And I wanted to be as close to the action as possible. And while I was researching this area, which is more or less the study of society technology intersection, it uh, really dawned on me that when I was, I was outside of the field, that um, the end user or the consumer of robots is right down at the end of the process. And I thought that the interesting things are actually happening right at the start of the design, the research and design process. And I was looking into the ways in which research and design was affected by society. And there are some significant things uh, around becoming businesses to go out. And it, it's more or less like a robot idea grows and breeds by becoming a business, by finding customers and then reproducing out into the real world. So I felt that there was an opportunity to be involved in the commercialization process of robotics research in a way that just, it satisfied my curiosity and it kind of put me right in the center of everything that was new and interesting. And at the same time, it allowed me to have a better understanding of how this was going to be affecting people in the real world. And um, it's a comparatively new, Silicon Valley Robotics is a comparatively new organization. And yet the history of robotics in Silicon Valley goes way, way back. I believe um, the first robot arm, we, one of our members did the industrial design for that and filed the patent for the Unimate arm, which was originally developed, I think, in California, maybe not in Silicon Valley, but we still have people that were involved in the first robotics company. Well, that's pretty cool, huh? It is. It doesn't get much earlier than that in the robotics community than the new no, And um, Shaky was mm. considered the world's first electronic person, according mm. to Time magazine, <laughs> was developed at SRI International and mm. is now in the Computer History Museum. And uh, so, again, we know people that worked on that. SRI International is one of the founding members of Silicon Valley Robotics. And as I said, the history of robotics goes way, way back, but we only came together as an alliance and Silicon Valley Robotics is an industry group. We represent robotics companies, robotics researchers, and our goal is to support innovation and commercialization of robotics technologies. 
and uh, we're a member-based organization, we're a non-profit organization, so we're filling a spot that it is difficult for companies commercializing to do. Universities are better at coming together in things like conferences and sharing their research and supporting global robotics initiatives. But then once you commercialize, you start to worry about competition, you start to look towards your vertical where you're growing, and you lose a lot of the benefits of having networks of being able to um, share and support and grow the ecosystem. And robotics is still terribly new. It's an emerging area. It's going to be affecting just about every area because to my mind, robotics means the new technologies of the future. Everything is going to be smarter, it's going to be more connected, and it's going to be a little bit more autonomous. So everything is going to be using robotics technologies, even if it is not a robot as we popularly consider a robot. Silicon Valley Robotics originated as an alliance of robotics companies. And uh, when I arrived from Australia, I was very aware of the strong startup, software and mobile ecosystem in Silicon Valley. And I wasn't at all aware of the robotics ecosystem. And I thought, you know, when we have so many other resources, there really ought to be a strong robotics ecosystem. And when there is such a history of hardware development and robotics in Silicon Valley, there really ought to be a strong robotics cluster. So I went looking for it, found the companies that were also sharing the same ideas that I had about having a strong presence as a robotics cluster. And it uh, really, the companies were there and they wanted to do this. The only thing that was missing was somebody to be the central person to give an identity and to give a contact point for the cluster. And uh, so I became the managing director and we formalized the organization. We have now member companies and we now have partnerships with other companies outside of the area and with other organizations or departments, whether it's strategic companies or whether it's um, other clusters in other areas. So we're, we're growing the ecosystem and being that bridging point so we're bridging both locally robotics companies and robotics professionals in the Bay Area. We're bridging out into uh, connections with strategic companies and with investors. And that's obviously one of the high priority areas. I can, um, there is a huge interest from the investment community in robotics and they want to know what's happening. What are the trends? What are the companies coming through? And we, have access to that information. And the robotics companies would love to be able to be more connected with the investment community. So it's a, a win-win situation. Bridge, absolutely. Mm. And so my job really is to be looking for these win-win situations, looking for these opportunities to bridge things that exist already and are just perhaps lacking that communication. Where providing a bridge, as said, to other clusters in other parts of the world. We're providing a bridge to journalists or um, to governments who have, and to strategic companies who have interest in robotics. One of the ways that we're doing that is through events. One of the ways that should never be underestimated is simply through having a central website with information on it. And one of the other ways that we're launching 
this year is an annual report on the state of robotics in Silicon Valley. We're realizing that we're collecting data and we're collecting information over the last few years that is going to be, that we can actually condense into a report form and then be able to share it that way. Uh, events are harder to bottle, as it were. And one of the events that we do every year though, that is fantastic, is the Robot Block Party. And that's a celebration of National Robotics Week. We collect together as wide a range of robotics in Silicon Valley as we can. And that means robotics across a whole range of verticals, from autonomous cars to segways, from first robotics clubs to research institutes, from surgical robots to NASA, from tea-making robots and brain-controlled interfaces to hobby robotics clubs. So we have young researchers, we have uh, veterans like John Meadows who showed off the sketches for the first Unimate arm. We have children, we have adults, we have toy robots and consumer robots, and we have advanced research robots. And we're able to bring that together in, in a free event to just celebrate what's happening in robotics. And that's kind of our signature event each year. Do you do that once a year? What, what kind of dates are they usually? Uh, National Robotics Week is usually the the second week in April. Second week in April. So we're going to keep a lookout for that. It's really nice to, to have this open and free and anything goes kind of event, I think, because most of the other events are quite expensive um, and they're also niched towards a certain part of robotics. You seem to, in the block party, to have just a bit of everything and it's for everyone. And I, I really like that. Exactly. We're, we're again trying to bridge across all of the robotics communities. So the unifying factor is that it's a local event and otherwise the events that you're talking about tend to be aimed as research-oriented mm. events or they're industrial-oriented events, so Automate or some of those conferences. Mm. Then you can have events that are relating to robotics but may be specialized in a particular vertical, whether mm. it's a health conference or mm. a defense conference you'll have an event like the DARPA Robotics Challenge mm. again, but it has its specific niche and function. Robo Business has, again, focusing on commercialization, but commercialization is only applicable to the most mature areas of mm. robotics, which have traditionally been industrial, followed by manufacturing and logistics. Mm. And we're starting to see what I love seeing this year is that we've got a couple of agricultural robotics mm. startups. And you know we know education is also an interesting space, but I do think that agricultural robotics is such a diverse and rapidly growing area. This is also field robotics. They're out there every day in the rain, in the snow, in the in the mud, really getting their their wheels dirty, so to speak. So I think I like that from that point of view too. So it's a very difficult problem mm. in robotics terms in mm. one respect because mm. it's it's a hazardous environment or it's a rough environment. It's harsh. It's mm. very changeable, and it's far less predictable than a factory. It's far more intense mechanically mm. and electronically. But it is not as difficult as homes, where everything is changeable. And so I do think there's more potential there. And I think there's a high return on investment, um, a high 
potential for making significant impacts. It's about the food chain. It's not specifically agriculture in the fields, it's the whole process. So robotics is useful in the laboratories. It's useful in logistics. It's useful in the, the shipping. It's useful in handling. It's useful in field, both for crops and for um, animal management. We're seeing amazing things with dairy farm systems that are fully automated. And this is a technology that's not suddenly new, let's have robots um, milk cows. It's actually been one of the areas that has been being automated for quite a long time. So they've worked out a lot of the problems and are now starting to really enhance what can be done and create very sophisticated, um, very sophisticated and successful solutions. So I see that template as being a very, very rich resource for robotics spreading out into other areas of agriculture. And of course, once you've grown something and tended and cared to it, your potential to improve results in the environment and to reduce the cost of food by reducing the cost of growing food is huge economic benefits and huge environmental benefits. But it goes on from that. It's the picking, it's the handling of food. We can reduce the amount of transportation that happens, have more timely de deliveries, increase the efficiencies across the board, and then potentially there's more automation in our food preparation at restaurant and house level. And then the next step is in terms of waste and recycling. So robotics also has roles there. So the entire food chain has um, so much potential to be improved the use of robotics and I think that's going to be quite transformational. Yeah, uh, we'll actually take the whole chain from planting the seed in compost until that same plant comes back as compost to have a seed planted in it and robotics is going to be a part of the whole chain and I think I find that very interesting and again this is something we see in many other areas, construction, infrastructure, uh, also that robotics is is going to permeate the whole system um, and offer the, the the actuated intelligence, if you may, if I may say it that way, that it is using big data, it's using sensors, but it's also out there affecting the real world, moving stuff around, moving moving atoms around, and I think that makes robotics unique, uniquely hard to do, uniquely hard to do well, but also uniquely significant when we do it well. So, um, anything you could share about your? You have a very broad contact towards robotics. You see a lot of interesting projects that you'd like to share. I think two things that do go together. One, I love soft robotics. I'm really excited by that. I'm seeing great things in research, but I'm seeing that finally start to be commercialized. So a couple of companies that are doing good things there, I think right-hand robotics and uh, right-hand robotics and soft robotics are demonstrating a lot of that. Um, and this is this started with this tendency towards um, cheaper, lighter manipulators and started with some things like 3D printed hands. Uh, but the ability to use pneumatics and silicon and create um, robotics grippers that don't have control systems, mm. it's a They're naturally compliant and use that compliancy to grip. Compliant and use that to grip, as you said, opens, significantly opens the range of applications for robotic manipulation and mm. by extension the arms and the mobile platforms mm. 
that just means that the industry potentially is going to grow hugely because a whole new set of problems are going to be solved. And it's not just the soft robotics in that space. I think Grabit is a very successful company out of, as a spin-off of SRI International. So it's a Silicon Valley kind of grown company as it were. And it's come out of um, really good research. And their gripping is done with electrostatic adhesion. So it's a different technology, but it is allowing for a completely different set of form factors in end effectors, which then multiplies hugely the range of different things that can be shifted. So it's opening entire new areas of business, as it were. And the second area is complementary because it's not about the technology, it's really about recognizing the market size. So industrial robotics, as defined by the International Federation of Robotics, is still 15 to 20 times larger than the service robotics sector, let alone the consumer robotics sector. So that's really where the strong economic growth and the market pull is. And it's got such a ripple along effect because this is by and large, it's like it's where you make the rest of the robots, but it's where you make all the rest of the stuff that we need as a society. So it's a huge market. It's what's going to be driving, I think, the majority of the growth forward and the innovation in robotics. And yet, I think we underestimate hugely the size of that because all of the figures about industrial robotics size are based around the same systems that we currently have, servicing the same markets that we currently have. And all it's going to take is a couple of new manipulators and also robots at a lower price point to open hugely in two directions. One, different set of problems to be solved. And second, different set of companies to be using robotics solutions that were previously not doing so. So I just think we're going to really uh, double or triple yeah. the size. I think food handling is without a doubt the first place and that's food handling both in the field in agriculture and in the factory in the food chain line there but i'm excited about once you once we've built the businesses and the companies and and refined the technologies in soft robotics perhaps or in the food industry as well as in a lot of the um, existing areas there are other soft areas that have not been able to be automated because handling soft materials is incredibly difficult. And the new class of two-armed robots are working towards solving some of these difficult problems because one-armed robot does not do changeable objects. A two-armed robot is starting to do changeable objects. You add a two-armed robot with these very conformable and compliant grippers and you're starting to also get the sort of precision that might allow you to do things like fabrics. And that is just such a difficult problem mm. to solve mm. with our current. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fabrics are fabrics and anything soft, as you say, is a huge challenge. And, and I also see soft robotics 
um, being very significant from the point of view that they are com- naturally compliant. We're also the, another trend is that we're working closer and closer with our robots. We we might have a um, we might lift a human being in a in a caring situation, for instance, or we might work very closely with with people. And soft robots have the advantage of of being naturally compliant, naturally naturally safe, and and they're simply soft, and and they're not going to hurt you as badly as as a hard robot's going to. That's ultimately what's going to be the most important application for soft robotics, mm. because to date, we know we need elder care robots. We know we want social robots, but we certainly need elder care and mm. health robots. Mm. Yet a, a robot right now is hard, is sharp, is potentially shocking, and is just not cuddly and totally not safe for close use with people, unless it, um, and what I'm seeing right now is the companies that are working on soft robotics are working on exoskeletons and rehabilitative robots as well. Um, So I think that we're going to probably commercialize in agriculture first, but that's just going to grow the technology and support the technology being transformed into the compliant robots that are going to become household mm. robots. So agriculture will drive this because it's, as you said, a more constrained domain than the household, which is a very diverse domain. Um, and the, and, and the agriculture will also have a professional user rather than, than, a, than a non-professional user. So you see a kind of two-pronged approach towards developing a home robot, a social robot, a, an elder care robot. One is developing the components and the pieces and having sufficient return on investment to be doing significant work into a whole range of the parts of the robots. And I think that's agriculture is going to be one of the areas that really drives that. And the second one is making the more expensive whole systems work in a professional service space in the health industry, perhaps in the aged homes or in the hospitals or in the rehab systems. But at that end, they're still going to be very expensive systems, so they're only going to have certain high-end uses. You're going to see the reduction in cost happening where you've got the parts of the compliance systems being used in large scale in agriculture, and you're going to have the testing of the whole integration in certain areas. And a good example of this is Savvy Oaks, mm. Savvy One. Mm. Again, I'm plugging a Silicon Valley company. You're Silicon Valley <laughs> Robotics, so that's entirely <laughs> I, appropriate. I, I've seen, they, they've come out recently and they've raised a lot of um, attention with their service robot in hotels. And I have the benefit of being able to talk to the people at Savvy Oak and understand why they've rolled out in the hotels, why they're doing what they're doing, and to see that it fits into their big roadmap, which is towards an elder care robot. And you say, well, how is a robot that's delivering the newspaper or a a mobile phone charger in a hotel the first step towards an elder care robot? And it's about developing the autonomous navigation within a more constrained environment than a house. Uh, It's about learning how people are interacting, communicating with a robot 
that is starting to provide a frequent service, you know, maybe a daily service. Um, it, those are still new things. We mm. don't have robots in the house in that sense. We um, need to know how that's going to work step at a time. And I understand that Savvy Oak uh, people are doing a lot of interesting, dig uh, finding out a lot of interesting things about how people interact with their mm. robot. Mm. Getting, that Getting data back from the system is very important. Huh? And, and as said, it's fitting into part of a broader product roadmap a broader product roadmap that's leading towards the goal of having a household robot. Mm, but you have the many steps to get there. So ending with Silicon Valley Robotics here, which is what we're talking about, um, your members are Silicon Valley companies, right? Yes, we're very locally based. But having said that, we welcome affiliate members from all over the world. So, any so anybody can be an affiliate member, right? And I do see so many people making Silicon Valley a stop along their journey as a roboticist or as a robotics startup or as a robotics company. As an individual, it might be that you come for a while, you intern for a while in the valley. It's a really great set of experiences and a great network to have and to be part of. It doesn't mean that you necessarily want to stay in the valley for your whole life, but it's a fantastic experience to have. And we provide a great network to be part of. So we do have people joining from overseas because they want to come for a while. We have startups that have joined and they've been based in Pittsburgh or in Montreal or in Australia but they have seen Silicon Valley in their future. So they've gotten advanced information as it were. And then when they've come to the Valley, they've used us as a bit of a beachhead so that they can hit the ground running, start to make the connections that they need to make, get involved in our events, become, um, particularly if they're a startup seeking funding, get to our investor forums, just, really get involved immediately. And they might not stay in Silicon Valley for more than a year or two. They might only be here for a few months at a time and still do some of their development and building in another place. What we find is that you might want to have a, an office or mm. a base in Silicon Valley. Mm. And you would be welcome to be a member of Silicon Valley Robotics if you have a physical presence in the Valley. So one of our founding members is Bosch. And this is a German company. And technically, it's an automotive company, but they have a robotics or research and technology center in Silicon Valley. So they're engaged in robotics and they are local. And even if it's only a one person office in the Valley, if you have a presence in the Valley, we certainly welcome you as members. And we welcome you as members if you are not directly engaged in robotics or are not in the Valley, but as an affiliate member. So that could mean that you were a venture capital firm or it could mean that you are a robotics company based somewhere else, or it could mean that you were, say, a component technology or a strategic company that was interested, that worked alongside people in robotics, but was not directly engaged in robotics. So you can be a direct member or you can be an affiliate member. And of course, anybody can visit the block party. Absolutely. We would love to have everybody visit the block party. Perfect. I'll see you there in 2015. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing your ideas and insights and taking the time to do an interview. Thank you.
I hope you liked this episode of the podcast version of Robots in Depth. This episode is produced together with Vvolver. Vvolver is a platform and community providing engineers informative content that help them innovate. It's how engineers stay cutting edge. Optomica is the founding sponsor for Robots in Depth. Optomica rents anything in modular robotics. Dream, rent, build. Visit optomica.com to connect. I'm your host, Per Sherboy. Until the next episode, thank you for listening.